Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoone. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. It's me, it's Nicole. I'm back with episode 199. Oh my God, I can't believe it. I'm working on episode 200 coming up this weekend. Looks like it's going to be on May 1st with the Myrna Valerio. I think it's her sixth or seventh time and we are going to do that one live. So please stay tuned. Check out my social media at Nicole DeBoom on Instagram and or Facebook. I will definitely be posting links so that you can get on and listen live. And if you can't listen live, it'll be posted like every other podcast I do. So you'll be able to listen to it at your leisure. Today, though, I got to speak to a running legend, a living legend, a legend who's still running at the top level of the sport, Molly Huddle. It's funny when I, <laughs> when we started talking, I just immediately was like, hello, Miss Molly. I don't know why. It's so weird. But I just feel like I know her. She's just, she's truly incredible. I've been a fan and a follower of Molly's forever. And I'll be honest, I've been so impressed by how she's evolved her career so she can continue to do what she loves and improve. She's able to find, continue to find improvement while most athletes sort of fade away either from injury or age or the simple aggregation, if that's a word, aggregate miles that, you know, that they uh, aggregate <laughs> over so many years. Um, a little bit about her. Molly Huddle is a two-time Olympian. She ran the 5,000 in 2012 and the 10,000 in 2016. She holds or has held six American records. She is a badass-sponsored athlete who is currently training for the weirdest year ever of competition, the 10K Olympic trials, which were supposed to have already happened a long time ago. Um, and she's definitely going to be in the running. She is also doing so much more than running. Uh, we talked today about how she has found her voice and more, how she's using it for causes she believes in. Her podcast, Keeping Track, is a big step forward. Definitely get over and however you listen to podcasts, check hers out. It is a co-hosted podcast with two other powerhouses in the sport. I'll let you explore that one. Um, but another part of her key to success is her ability to nurture strong relationships. And I am happy to share that today's episode is sponsored by one of her sponsors, Gatorade Endurance. Just for listening, you get 20% off all online products on GatoradeEndurance.com through 2021 using the code RUNTHISWORLD20. Be sure you don't forget that or you won't get your 20% off. Gatorade has been around for a long time. Many of you have tried their products, but what you may not know is that they are constantly evolving, improving, and working hard to make the lives of athletes better. As I learned through my career as a pro triathlete, and now as a 49-year-old recreational athlete, everyone has a unique training journey, and that requires different fuel needs at different stages and ages. Gatorade Endurance has developed a product line that empowers athletes to recognize and understand their individual needs. They call it customization. I call it the only way to reach your personal potential because we are all different. Gatorade Endurance products offer multiple options for carbs and electrolytes with different forms and flavors for different activity levels, and I'd say different types of activities. I've personally tried their electrolyte drinks, gels, chews, and gator lights, and I give them a huge double thumbs up. 
And don't forget about that deal. Head over to GatoradeEndurance.com. Use the code RUNTHISWORLD20 for 20% off all online products. Be sure you use the code. So now pause, jot that down, Run This World 20, and get back here to hear from Molly. We definitely hit a little bit on some tips on how she uses Gatorade Endurance products in the interview. All right, you guys, whew, it is time to bring the amazing Molly Huddle on the show. Miss Molly Huddle, I've got you on the podcast. I'm so excited. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Okay, so you're in some like top secret altitude training lair with really supposedly bad internet connection, which we'll find out shortly. Are you allowed to say where you're training or is that a trade secret? No, def- Flagstaff's definitely not a secret. You can kind of see our mountain decor behind me. It's a lot of um, bears and moose paintings and stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, inter- the internet's spotty up here. So hopefully it holds up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Flagstaff's such a cool place. And, you know, there's a few of these like hot pockets around the country. But probably a year ago, you didn't know what the heck you'd be doing you know, when they decided, hey, we just had marathon trials, we squeaked that in, which we can talk about if you want to. But then your focus went on to let's try to make the 10k, right? Mm-hmm. And then it was yeah. like a creeping delay at an airport where like, you think your flight's going to go and then they keep saying, oh, it's an hour later. No, it's an hour later. No, it's an hour. And then finally, they gave you some kind of, you know, hard date, right? Yeah, that's a good analogy for it because you didn't feel like you could fully step away or rest because you just felt like you had to be ready if things came back on schedule. So that is kind of what it was like for a lot of the year, just waiting and trying to stay ready, but also trying not to like, I don't know, at my age, like I didn't want to put too much wear and tear on myself if I didn't know it was going to be coming to benefit in a race soon. (laughs) So yeah, it was, it was a waiting game. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was talking about it with my husband because we were kind of talking about, huh, I wonder how Molly's doing with like, what strategy did you take? Were you like, okay, I'm going to have just the right amount of training. So on a dime in three weeks when they announce it, I can be ready. Or at what point did you kind of throw in the towel on that? And you were like, you know what? I just got to do my own thing. Yeah, I'd say, um, I mean, we kind of, until they announced that the Olympics were canceled or were delayed, we were kind of just like back into training pretty hard. Um, cause I had dropped out of the marathon with like five miles to go. So I didn't feel like I needed too much of a break. But then after that, we were kind of like, well, I probably shouldn't take a year off, but I don't know that I'm going to be aiming for like a PR at this point if I don't know the race is going to be there because that's really intense training. And I'm kind of always bouncing back and forth between road and tracks. So I don't really ever get a break. So we kind of just stayed like we did some fun things and did some local races, but we were kind of under the impression just target the Olympics. Like that's or the Olympic trials, I should say. Um, that's the next hard thing. And so that was probably around April, I think that we were like, okay, you can take some downtime, then do some fun things in a few months. So what is like, what are fun things in your world? (laughs) Does this mean like other sports and like, you know, treating yourself to go into amusement parks? Well, they weren't open, but you know, what are fun things for you guys? Yeah, I guess that we were, it was like, um, like limited fun things. So we tried to get creative and do, you know, there were some local track meets. I didn't want to travel if I didn't have to. So I literally did a meet that was like two miles from my house at a high school. And there were three other women in the race. I ran a 3K. Um, and then I did a 5K in Boston. We drove to that. It wasn't very fast, but it was a race. And then we did um, like an hour run record attempt on the track, which is like a pretty obscure distance that was popular in the 80s, but they haven't run in a while. That was different. That was really fun. It wasn't fast either but it was a new challenge and just something something to go towards (laughs) so yeah we did some kind of creative things that weren't really about like you know finding my limits performance wise but were still like challenges that I could do with it with all the compromises we were making with COVID that everyone was making we tried to find something we could do you know, I just love that mindset because you're such a competitive and goal-driven person but the goals don't 
always have to be so serious or don't always have to be the biggest peak you'll ever try to hit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like with the hour run, like the time by Nancy Coons was, I think, 530s per mile, which many, many women could have gotten. Um, So we knew the time wouldn't be like a super challenge compared to my half marathon PR. But, and I had hoped to run a little faster, but it was fun. Like it was kind of a cool atmosphere. All my friends were, you know, there, they were the small crowd of like 10 people. We had music playing, you know, we did the best we could and it was kind of fun. So um, we tried to just focus on what we could do. And it's hard because as a, as a professional athlete, you're always trying to optimize things as you know. And so COVID is like the opposite. It was like compromise everywhere. Like it just sports just weren't perform peak performance just was not the top thing on the list. It just wasn't as important. So I was just trying to like reframe how, you know, how I could still run and not, um, but it didn't look like what it usually looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a perspective thing. You know, I'm going to back up. You've been running for a long time. Earlier, you mentioned at my age, I didn't want to, you know, (laughs) have too much wear and tear. Um, I mean, you've been running at a very high level, like you were winning high school national titles 20-ish years ago. So, you know, I was thinking about you as a little girl and like, I don't really know much. And I wondered if you could paint a little picture about the young Molly and how you came to find running. Yeah. Um, my dad was a runner, so he actually ran at Notre Dame, the 400 and 800, but he was running marathons when we were born in the eighties, late eighties, pretty popular. So he had a little training group and we would watch him when I was really young, you know, at local road races. And so I kind of always internalized that like, Oh, that's cool. Like, um, I mean, my dad would finish like top 10 at these local races. So I was like, wow, he's good. (laughs) He's like one of the best runners um, and so I just kind of always thought I'd try it and that it looked cool and fun. I loved a, a bunch of other sports. I played basketball for, for a while. I wasn't very good at it, but that was, you know, I just was always into sports. And so, um, I'd say my dad got me into running and did a little bit of coaching, uh, during my senior year of high school. And we got to a pretty high level. We got to, um, like national championship level. We made footlocker cross country that year. So I think that's when I realized, oh, like I actually, I could be good at this. Um, But before that, I just loved sports. I loved watching the Olympics on TV. I always thought, like, I thought the road races were cool. So that was just a natural draw, I think. Well, and so at what point, because I think I read that your high school didn't even have a cross country team. sounds like maybe you had track and field, but not cross country. And So you were a standout, like you were an anomaly then, right? And so at what point you said you realized like, oh, I think I could be pretty good at this, but was there like a race or an experience where one day you were like, this is it, this is what I'm going to do? I think maybe um, in high school, like we didn't really have running websites, like the internet was even new back then. So I just, I didn't really know where I stacked up against people until I got to the state meet. And then I'd meet someone and they'd say, you should try and make um, the national meet. You're like, you're near the qualifying time. So I would do that. Then I get to the national meet for track and they'd say, you should try and like, I'd meet someone word of mouth and they'd say, you should try and qualify for the national cross country race. And then I did that. And I realized how good those girls are. I was third I think there um and I think that was a really like um eye-opening experience because that's where I realized where I stacked up I was like okay these are the best distance women in the country at my age um you know there's 40 of us here roughly I was fourth I think third or fourth and so like I have some work to do like I may be good at home but there's girls who are way way better than me um so I'd say that was pretty eye-opening and then when that summer rolled around I ran a really fast two mile for high school, which was a record then has now been eclipsed many times. Um, But I think that was like eye opening to see how good I could get once I realized where the bullseye was. Yeah. And then you went on to run at Notre Dame. You followed in your dad's footsteps and you had an amazing career as a college athlete. And, you know, I was, it's interesting. I was talking to one of my friends whose kid is still in high school and he's a really good hockey player. And literally like good enough that 
we were joking, but I'm not sure it's a joke where they're like, yeah, college is the backup plan. We're going for this, you know? So I wondered like, what is, what was the backup plan? Like running became your thing and it became your life and it became your career and it still is. And it may be forever in some form, right? But what was the backup plan and what, and is there still a backup plan? Um, it's funny because when I got to college, I didn't really realize how good, like I didn't, I guess I didn't know what the requirements were for running professionally or even really like that you could. I just was again, I was, didn't use the internet a lot. I don't know. The internet has changed a lot of things for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so I remember one of the coaches that recruited me in, when I was in high school was like, do you want to go to the Olympics? They asked me that in the recruiting visit. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't even know how to make our conference squad. Like, I, what do you mean? Of course I want to, but I, I don't know if that's realistic. I don't know what the steps are. And then by my sophomore year, or I guess that was the end of my freshman year, maybe I qualified for the Olympic trials in the 5k. And that helped me understand kind of what you needed to do and where you needed to be. And so you know, I thought I had to win an NCAA title. I never did to go pro. And luckily I got a contract with Saucony, you know, right out of college. I did five years in college right out. They sponsored me and they, they still do today. But, um, I actually took the MCAT, uh, before graduating. Um, cause I was going to go to med school if I didn't get a contract or hopefully get into med school if I didn't get a contract. So I'd always wanted to do that. Um, you know, my dad was a doctor and so, kind of wanted to follow in those footsteps. Um, and I don't know if that's still realistic now because I hope to run until I'm about 40 or so, like with a focus on, you know, some marathons and stuff. Um, and I don't want to really leave the running world completely because I feel like I've made so many meaningful connections here. And I feel like there's so many areas that I want to be involved in um, after I'm done running. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see what the the backup plan is. (laughs) Well, and it's like, it's such a weird question because you're in your career right now, but it's an interesting question when you're starting your career. A little, um, maybe a little bit of context here. So when my husband and I were both pro triathletes, Tim raced for almost 20 years and won the world championships. And I raced for many years and won an Ironman and stuff, but from day one, and even like literally days after winning big races, people would be like, what are you going to do next? You can't do that forever. And it like, the question never stopped. (laughs) Just, I was really curious if people ask you that. I mean, I just did clearly by saying like, what's your backup plan? But like, I didn't mean it in a way that, that you ever have to do it. I was just really, truly curious. Yeah. I mean, I think as athletes, we ask ourselves that, like you have to have your mind on it, but at the same time, I mean, I've tried to kind of dip my toe in a few things the last few years, but it is hard to not focus on the running enough to like branch out into something else. I just, I find it a delicate balance. Some people are good at multitasking and I've always been way better when like I'm a hundred percent all in on something. Um, so it's been kind of hard to, I mean, the pandemic year was good for that. It allowed me to kind of like open up a bit more into the podcast world and just like try more writing and actually did write a book this year that is in editing now with my friend Sarah so I dipped a toe in some things but like for sure I was doing a lot like I was not resting enough for what I would usually be doing if I was competing at a high level so it's tough it's tough you kind of I don't mind having a year after I retire where I'm just thinking about what I want to (laughs) do it's so smart I'm actually in that year right now because I had a, a, you know, skirt sports, a women's clothing company for 15 years. And last year, like the shit hit the fan. I thought we were basically going under, but at the very end, I found someone to buy it. And then I, our family moved and now I'm just living for a while. And what you don't realize because you're in it is how tired you are after it's over. But the other thing is that I truly believe, and this is probably really important for you right now too, is that it is hard to focus on more than one thing if you want to be the best in the world. And um, like even, even letting go of a business, I couldn't think about my next career because I needed to give my all to letting go. You know, that's a big thing too. So like there's, it's a weird thing to wrap your head around, but like, it's cool that you had this little mini break that potentially fueled is going to have fueled you for the next five years. 
you could potentially thank COVID looking back for giving you a one year sort of tiny bit of relaxing so that you could hunker down, rest your body and focus again. Have you thought about it that way? I have. I mean, in hindsight, I think I probably actually almost burned myself out because I was doing too much other stuff. And it was kind of, it was kind of, I I definitely learned like where my limits are as far as like, okay, like if you expect to have like a running goal on the calendar, you need to drop everything and just focus on that. Um, And then schedule in times where you can do some of these other interests that you have as far as like, you know, writing projects or, um, you know, pre-recording the podcast or something like that. So I think I learned more about like the boundaries of my energy, (laughs) which I've talked with a lot of people that during this time kind of had the same realization. Like everyone's in the house trying to work. You actually, everything is just harder because you're kind of like doing more things on your own that you used to be able to do in an office so that you could outsource or whatever. Um, So I feel like I had my version of that this year too. Um, But yeah, definitely have new appreciation. I definitely learned kind of like, yeah, you got to protect your energy. And, you know, I'm just one of those people that has to focus it pretty tightly on something. If I want to be good at it, I can't really scatter it everywhere. And, um, but for sure it was eye opening. for sure. There's some things that I, I realized I do like a lot outside of running. So that was good. That's really cool. And you know, it kind of reminds me of bonking. Like, yeah. you don't know until you actually do it and push too hard. Like, there's no way you could ever figure out your limit until you bonk a little bit. So I think it's really cool and that you were able to do it in a, a year or a time frame when there were less expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was it was like motivational bonking. Like, eventually I was just like, I'm, t- <laughs> I'm tired. The drive is running out. So, yeah. <laughs> um. You know, I've been like thinking about this word customized for you. Like, I actually want to talk about one of your sponsors, um, Gatorade Endurance and and their customization program. And, the, and we can talk a little bit about that from a nutrition perspective. But I've been thinking about you and your life and career as an athlete and how you have had to truly customize your path because there is no blueprint for the long distance runner, everyone does it differently. And, um, and as you age, everything changes and evolves and it's all evolving around us too. So there's, you know, there's new resources every day as well. So I don't know, do you have any thoughts about, have you been watching or following anybody's path to help create your own or has it all truly been like trial and error? No, I think I have been definitely learning from or taking pieces from other people's journeys. Um, You know, my training group now, uh, well, my training group when I first started had some of the best women in the world at 5K and 10K with women like Kim Smith and Amy Rudolph. And I learned bits and pieces from them and then kind of figured out what worked for me, you know, after I got the big chunks in place from them. Um, and now like as an aging athlete, I look towards people like Meb or like, um, Edna Kiplagat, you know, I've read interviews with her where they say, okay, like I've reduced my mileage a little bit, or I cross train more and like, I'd be able to maintain performance, but like the training changes a little bit or the fueling changes a little bit. Um, so I've definitely been learning from them about just how to tailor your training towards like not just what you're training for, but like where you are in life, where you are as an athlete, you know, I've built up a lot of mileage. Maybe that's something I focus less on because of the wear and tear, but like, I, I still get the quality in. it's like quality over quantity at this point. Um, so there's a lot of little things like that that I've been tweaking the last like two years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, quality is like the name of the game these days. And as we get older, you know, that, that term junk miles, I mean, I look back on all the junk miles. I'm sure you do too. There were a lot of them and not just in like working out, but in life, these days Mm -hmm. people spend a lot of time doom scrolling, you know, like uh, just playing around on, on social media. And that, that to me is junk miles, you know? So there's a lot of places in your life where you can cut that out and make your quality better. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you're doing that. Um, You mentioned uh, one of the other cool things about you is that I've really noticed that um, you use your voice 
and you've gotten stronger with it as you've gotten older, more mature. And you mentioned um, earlier, you know, the people who have potentially mentored you. I saw a post you did for an organization called She's the First. And uh, I thought that was really cool because I think that there is a lack of women uh, active sort of I don't don't know what the right word is, but like women who actively put themselves out there to mentor others and women are often afraid to ask other women to share. And I, you know, I think it's really cool that you're doing that. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I'm really grateful for the, like I said, when I graduated from school, I feel like I got plopped into this group and I was just lucky to be able to observe. Like not, I realize only now, like not everyone had that in the running world. A lot of people were just finding out on their own what to do, how to train, how to travel, um, how to navigate the professional level. And, and I was just put into this system that, you know, these women just were so good and they were training so well and they had, you know, had experience already of a couple of years and I got to just be a sponge and soak that up. Um, but it is funny, like using my voice was something I definitely had to learn to do. Like we, we joke, my friends joke with, or the girls in the training group joke about the first time someone put a microphone in front of my face when I won, after I won a race. And I just, I think it's like on YouTube somewhere. It's like the most um, embarrassing speech. Like I'm basically like leaving my body as I'm just like saying nonsense (laughs) up on the stage. Um, And I remember it was at, I think it was the Tufts 10K. And so Joan Samuelson was there and she like, just like, laughed and patted me on the back and was like oh that was bad but um still still a terrible public speaker but I've definitely evolved since then to to try and be better and and just look at who's you know you can have an impact if you can kind of like tell your story somewhat well so trying to do that better (laughs) you are doing it really well and I think like one of the things going on too is people will go to your social, right? They'll go to your Instagram. In fact, they should be following you right now. It's just at Molly Huddle. Hello. And um, they're going to see these posts and every once in a while, you'll do posts about your training. You'll do posts about Rusty, your dog. <laughs> really great <laughs> ones. Um, and every once in a while, you'll put out an emotional post about something that's a little bit controversial. And, you know, I, I used to worry about what other people might think if I did that kind of thing. And, and it, you know, I do think about it first and I'm sure you do too, but what happens when you have a bigger platform is that even though 99% of the people following you love and support you and will, no matter what, there's people out there who are such assholes and they get on and they, they comment negatively and it's been really uh, fun to watch you kind of weather that storm strike back when you feel, let it roll when you feel, because sometimes it's just interesting to watch the conversation play out. But I, my, my thought is that if you say nothing about something that is really important to you, you've missed a big opportunity to help make some change, positive change in the world. And that's one of the things I've noticed you're doing. You're saying something. And I just, I love it. I don't know. How do you, how do you handle those situations? When do you decide to get out there and actually use your voice on things outside of sport? Yeah, that's, it's a really good question. It's tough. Like I'm definitely not an expert at that, but let's take social media. For example, if you put certain things out there, you're going to get some criticism back. And I definitely have, um, you have to decide what you're going to let go and what you're going to try and defend or, I don't know that you really can educate someone on social media and like a few characters, but like you could maybe lay out your reasoning better. Um, But I feel like you, like if you let too many things go, like, I don't know. I feel like you need to kind of like, if enough people establish that something's not okay or that, you know, a certain thing needs to happen, like then like slowly that's how tipping points happen. Um, So I think a lot of people look at, athletes speaking out about things is annoying or like you don't know what you're talking about or like no one's going to care what you think but I think actually you know if enough people do say something that is how collectively like public opinion changes or we just evolve and what we think is okay I mean look at you know 80 years ago it's like look where women's sports was for example you know if that was going on now people would be appalled and so 
that evolution had to happen. People had to talk about it. People had to push back about it. Um, that's just one example of the many things in society that are that are evolving and changing and should be changing. Um, so it's tough. You can't take everything on. Obviously, you have to kind of save your energy. But I think if it's something that like is important to you or important to people close to you, um, then those are the things you pick up and kind of fight back a little bit on. Yeah. And I, I, and I love the topics that are important to you. They're, they're important to me too. That's one of the reasons I was like, I need to get her on. Cause I, I like how her brain thinks <laughs> I interview people. <laughs> I don't that have other opinions than me too. But, um, I mean, I was dying when I think you posted the video of that, uh, news anchor who said, you know, LeBron just shut up and dribble. And somebody wrote Molly, just shut up and run. Or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, this guy's such an asshole. Like what? Like you're not allowed to have your own opinion and voice it. You know, I, anyway, I just, I thought it was really actually kind of amusing to be honest. Mm -hmm. And it made me yeah. feel more strongly that I want to be on your team too, instead of having the opposite response. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it's tough. Like, I feel like, um, especially like, uh, women are kind of expected like to just like smile and cooperate and maybe not put up a defense or like, I don't know, you're just kind of categorized a little differently if you disagree with something. Um, so I feel like that's kind of some of the harder, harder parts for um, like female athletes to speak out on something and get that uh, different kind of response from people. I don't know if it's a double standard, but it kind of feels different. Um so I definitely have to navigate that. You kind of have to have a thick skin. I feel like I've definitely developed that over the last few years. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, what are some of the other topics that you feel pretty strongly about? Well, one of the things I think we've all seen um, this year is especially um, like a focus on making the running world more inclusive and diverse. I feel like you kind of have to work on the, you know, put your powers towards the place where you live. And I live in the sports endurance world. And I feel like we could definitely make that a more um, welcoming, inclusive representative space for the better, you know, for the betterment of the sport, betterment of the industry. Um, so a lot of people are making moves towards that and I'm definitely on their side. Well, yeah. And you know, your whole podcast was sort of created I feel like as a personal project for you three to be like, let's talk about these cool things happening in our sport. And often they're controversial. And that's definitely one of them. I know you guys um, hit on the gender fluidity topic, which is really hard to even talk about still. And, uh, and you talked about gender, you've talked about um, the pay gap between genders. I mean, I think one of the themes is, you you're pushing for inclusivity and you lean towards women's and girls rights. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I think women's sports obviously is something close to my, uh, well, it's my life and, um, you know, track and field is a little different than some of the major, um, sports like basketball and soccer, as far as, you know, parody, because we're more of a niche sport, but, um, that was kind of the foundation of the podcast, just, you know, increasing media coverage of women's sports, because I think that's where it starts. You know, if we don't have people watching it and the stats are really low for media coverage in the U.S. of women's sports, it's like 4% of all media coverage, sports media coverage. Um, if you don't have people watching it, they can't support it. If they can't support it, it can't grow. Um, and if it can't grow, there's not going to be like the prosperity and, um, you know, female leaders coming out of the sport that are equal to what you see on the men's side. And, and they have done such amazing things. You know, some of the women that have um, come out of the sports world have done such amazing things. Imagine if they were on par with what the men were getting or the attention or the, you know, influence the men were getting. So um, that's kind of been something we've seen from the inside and we wanted to focus there on the stories. And we're just a really small podcast, but we hoped it, hoped it would snowball kind of. Well, I'm recommending that everybody listen, also subscribe to your podcast, which is called? Yeah, thank you. Keeping Track is the podcast with Roisin McGettigan and Alicia Montano, my two good friends. <laughs> and it's funny, I, I never knew how to pronounce Roisin's name. Is that, did I say it right? Yes, Irish name. Yep, Roisin. <laughs> yeah, because it's spelled really differently. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it's really cool because you have three very unique backgrounds, but you're all looking 
you know, to help people open their minds. And that is the key to living a happy life that can, keeps us evolving, is keeping an open mind. Yeah, and just getting a lot of different stories out there. You know, I think there's something for everybody, hopefully, in, in the stories of some of the women we talk to. Oh, for sure. So right now you are about eight, no, 10 weeks out from Olympic trials for 10K? Yeah, a little under three months. We're kind of at the end of the meet. So it might be almost three months now. But Okay, good. Yep. <laughs> okay. And you're, you're gunning t- for the Olympic trials 10K, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. So I don't want to dwell on negative things, but I do want to kind of set a little framework. If you don't mind, we're going to switch to the present moment. Uh, Last year at this time or a couple months earlier last year was Olympic trials for marathon, which you were in and you didn't finish the race. You dropped five miles ish to go, which you mentioned earlier. Um, And I just wondered, you know, Having raced professionally, I've made decisions like that too. Sometimes you you drop out because you're in the heat of the moment and it just sucked. And sometimes you're like, I knew if it wasn't going to go to X, Y, or Z, I was going to drop at this point because you kind of want to like save yourself for the next race, which was supposed to have been coming up four weeks later or something, right? So I wondered like how how that race, what the decision point was for you? And then how did you kind of recover from that emotionally? Yeah, that was tough. I mean, in one hand, on one hand, I felt lucky that um, COVID didn't interrupt our um, preparation. That was one of the last meets where like, things were, were normal, like, quote, unquote, normal, no, no one was worried about it being canceled, like, we were very secure that it was going to go off. And so we prepared without any hesitations. Um, but I did, I got uh, an ankle injury in December. And so <clears throat> we were kind of wondering, should I go through with the trials, um, knowing it's not going to be like an ideal preparation. Um, but I was able to race a half marathon on it. Well, in January, so we thought, okay, just see what happens. And didn't miss much time. I only missed a few weeks. And so when we got to the race, my coach told both Emily and I, um, he said, you know, you, you two should be okay. Like, I feel good about it, but should anything crap up, um, where you don't think you're going to make the team or an alternate, or like, you know, if you're way, way out of it, he said, you should drop out because you guys can make the 10 K team or two. You have two of the top 10 K times in the country from which we did during our buildup at Stanford. Um, he was like, I just want to let you guys know, like, I'm going to pull you off the course if you're not in the top 20, basically. (laughs) Um, so we knew that going in and I think I was maybe 13th and going backwards at mile 21. Um, and so I thought, okay, like I'm not making the team. There's no way, like normally I would never drop out of a race, but this wasn't a normal race. Um, so I stepped off, thought about getting ready in the 10 K thought, you know, with the injury, whatever, I didn't wear the shoes. It wasn't my day. I wasn't running well, focus on the track. Um, and so that was tough, but I was also kind of like, I didn't have the best buildup I could have had. And I knew I had another shot. Um, but then when COVID hit, it was really hard. (laughs) I was like, I really, I really wish I would have finished that race. Even if it was like way back because, um, I ended up saving myself for a race that wasn't happening. (laughs) Uh, And it's like unfinished business. Now you're like, shit, Mm -hmm. now I'm in the creeping delay for a year. Um, But you did turn it around eventually. And like you said earlier, a lot of it's perspective. Like you finally, you're like, okay, there's more important things. Like people are dying all over the world. We've never had a pandemic. No one knows what's going on. Like there's days when you're, you know, all of us are like, our job is just something to kind of distract us from the moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here you are today. Now you know that there is an Olympic trials coming up. You are, you're looking good. Um, you, how's, how's the training, how's the preparation going as it's compared to, you know, previous peak events? Um, it's going good now. I like it, it was a bit of a struggle for, um, much of the year. I felt like whatever happened in December with my ankle was just like lingering and like affecting my form all year. And I feel like we've only just now got it under control. Um, so I tried to open up my season with a 5k a few weeks ago, still wasn't right, but I feel like we made a lot of progress in the last couple of weeks. And so I think we're going to have another race at the end of this month. 
another a 5k and I think it'll be a little more in line with where my fitness is um but in the last year like a lot of younger athletes have gotten really fast at the 10k we've added some new American (laughs) citizens so like this is going to be a really deep team this is probably going to be the hardest 10k team I've tried out for um in my career so I'm just knowing that going in and knowing I got to get myself back to you know as ready as I ever am at the U.S. championships so that's you know 31 minutes or under type shape for 10k and um that's what we're aiming for yeah yes we're all going to be cheering for you so (laughs) can we talk a little bit about like nutrition for you and elite runners and and how customized it actually needs to be. It's like back in the day, I mean, we all just did the same thing, you know, many, many years ago. But over time, companies have figured out ways that they can create solutions for us that are based on our particular needs. And I'll tell you, um, Gatorade Endurance has that sweat patch thing that anybody can use. And I have to tell you my experience with it. It was very hilarious because I now live in Steamboat Springs, which is a, a little mountain town. And I'm not doing much like outdoor sweat building activity, (laughs) you need to sweat for the thing to actually, you know, trigger. So I wore like multiple layers and did an indoor like hardcore yoga workout the other day. And it was on my arm because you're supposed to put the little patch on your arm. And what's cool about it is that as you work out, these little orange lines start to um, populate, right? And I'm halfway through the workout and I'm looking at it and I'm like, there's no orange lines. I know I'm sweating. I have all this like sweat under where my bra is. So I'm just going to move the patch and I put it under my bra and then I keep working. And a minute later, it like falls out on the floor and I'm like, this sucks. (laughs) I'm doing it all wrong. Um, Eventually smashed it back on my arm and it stayed. And by the end of the workout, it's proven I sweated. (laughs) So it was really cool because you just download this app, um, the GX app, and it literally scans that patch and it tells you your stats on your workout. It tells you what you need to do now. So it was telling me I needed to consume a certain amount of protein and drink a certain amount of fluids, but it also told me I need to do a mindfulness exercise, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Anyway, um, tell me about this. Like, is this a new sponsor for you? Have you been with them for a while? Yeah. So actually I've been with Gatorade Endurance since 2017, which is um, basically all my marathons, except for my first marathon, I've been using their products. And I actually did just use the sweat patch about two weeks ago. Um, I got, I posted about it, got a ton of interest. People really think this is cool. I actually had used it a couple of years earlier when I went um, to the lab and the, the lab came out to us once some of the um, lab scientists from the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, they brought a patch um, and we wore it up here in Flagstaff and I didn't sweat enough either because it was really dry here. But I wore this patch recently, the one you can now buy, like I was cross training, it was really hot and I had sweat pouring down my face, but um, you, you really do have to sweat a lot for the patch to collect. So make sure you're doing like a hard long run or something like that. Um, but it was cool. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I learned a lot about like my sweat rate and like, I'm like a average sweater, but I have like low sodium content in my sweat. I guess that means you're like, I'm an efficient sweater. So it would change the concentration of what I drink. Um, and you know, when we're up in altitude, I changed my fueling plan cause it's just more intense at altitude. Like you're using more carbohydrates. You're, you're not sweating a lot, but you're still dehydrated cause it's so dry up here. Um, so yeah, the sweat patch was opening, although I had used one before and they had made a plan for me, but what's really cool is like everyone can do that now. So get a lot more, a lot more, um, like personalized info for your training. Well, and what I think is cool too, is like you're aging and so am I, and so is everybody. And so from one year to the next, like your hormones, your body physiology changes a little, like, and even like you said, maybe you move. And so your location changes more humid, more dry, whatever. So I think it's really cool because I don't know of any other companies that have created a product that's easily accessible and cost, not cost prohibitive, that can help you with that kind of customization easily. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of fun. Like it made you want to do a hard workout so that you could get a lot of sweat data 
<laughs> totally. It was, you're like, can I fill this patch? But then the <laughs> mindfulness activity was really funny. I mean, I do like, I appreciate the, the practice of mindfulness and all the things that come with that. But, um, but I love it. They're like trying to take kind of a holistic approach here too. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, but I also know that they make a ton of products. Um, they've got those really yummy chews or gel. They've got gels too, and all kinds of hydration. What, what's your go-to? When I'm doing a marathon, like mid-race, I use a mix of the gels and the endurance formula. Um, if I'm just doing like post-training here, just the endurance formula usually. But I really like the gels. The gels um, have evolved a lot since I started with them because now they have the caffeine version, which is very helpful at the end of a marathon. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, don't they have like a really yummy like caramel flavor or something? What's the new one? I haven't tried the newest one. My favorite so far is the um, cherry lime. Oh. It's one of their, it's from last year, I think. Oh, so. yum. You know, I they do a great job with the flavors. I, I, when I toured the lab, I got to watch them make flavors. It was really interesting. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. How cool. You know, I mean, this yeah. is really anchored in sports science. Um, I will say there are some little small technical tips that everyday runners could benefit from with uh, fueling during a race. And we all learned this by doing it wrong. I'm sure you did too. But you know how like you get to the last, say, mile and a half and you're like, I'm good. I don't need anything else. But then the last like 200 meters, you're walking because you actually bonked. So like one big tip, like don't give up. Don't stop fueling right before the end. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like that cheeseburger or whatever you're going to eat is going to like taste any better if you don't have your last gel <laughs> before. Yeah, I know it. The, I, I try never ever to skip a station, a hydration station. Totally. And then how about, did this ever happen to you? Like maybe early on you forgot to like squeeze the cups or what now you get your own bottles and whatever, but go back to the days when you were like a citizen <laughs> right <laughs> out there racing and like you tried to drink and it went all over your face and choke on it and whatever. There's all kinds of little tips about drinking how to get that stuff down and not kill yourself in a race, right? Yeah, I have to say, I have not mastered the cup while moving. I usually don't get very much of that in my mouth, but the <laughs> bottle I got a lot better at. I used to be really bad at it. And then when I had to practice, because I was doing a marathon, um, it only took a couple couple workouts with it and I got the hang of it. So, you know, it's worth, I, worth practicing with it. <laughs> it's definitely worth practicing because you need a backup, right? In South America, they would give you these Ziploc bags of water and you had to poke a hole and squeeze it in your mouth while you're running. I don't know if you ever had anything like that in a foreign country. No, I've never tried that. I I've seen now they have these like edible plastic water blobs. You can, you can like eat the plastic. Have you oh, seen that? Those? It's like a, single serving. I haven't tried it, but I've seen all kinds of crazy new things. I think that is, yeah, I don't really want to eat edible plastic. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's um, made out of like algae or something, but it looks like plastic. I don't know. It's, it sounded innovative anyways. <laughs> yeah. So great. I love it. So you're getting a little bit of your bioflavonoids or something, right? Some, um, something. Yeah. <laughs> So you, it, it's really cool to talk to you as you're, you know, kind of in the midst and heat of this big training buildup. Um, and I'm not going to take too much more of your time because you need to get out there. But one thing I did want to ask you a little bit about was rest and recovery and, um, any thoughts or advice you have for people on things you've done right and maybe have done wrong over the years? For sure. Um, I think maybe one of the biggest mistakes, um, people make is that they train too much in that kind of gray area zone of like every day is a little bit hard. So then you don't, I feel like I made the biggest jumps in improvements when I ran my easy runs, e like fully in the easy zone, my workouts got actually harder. And then my ability to push in races got better. Um, for example, in college, I was kind of always running a little too hard on my mileage days and I wouldn't, wouldn't feel fresh on my track days. And those workouts weren't as good. When I graduated, I saw how easy the girls were running. I thought it was almost too easy. I thought they were being lazy. Um, but within a matter of weeks, like I was running faster and feeling better. So that was definitely a lesson, recovery-based lesson that I learned. Um, and then also just like 
I mean, this isn't always possible if you have a really busy life, but um, just trying to like rest more before, at least maybe before a race, like try not to do a ton of like sightseeing or activities because it sounds like a bummer. But for me anyway, like I realized I had to respect like how hard the effort was going to be. And um, so I needed to rest beforehand or just in my daily life between workouts, a little more downtime. Like it wasn't a waste of time. It was recovery time. It's such a good word, respect. You know, we don't respect the process enough a lot of the time because we're in it. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, I think we don't respect like time spent not doing anything because you're resting, but you feel don't really feel like you're recharging. I don't know. You can't see it happening inside, I guess. <laughs> well, you're a competitive goal-driven person and many people listening are too. Most people listening And, um, it's hard to think that resting is productive and we have been trained to think that if we're not being productive, we're not really contributing positively to the greater good, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) it's a mindset shift. I mean, I joked about mindfulness. Do you practice, you know, have any of those practices in your life that like purposely force you to sort of slow down and open up? Um, I mean, I've tried to, I tried to add meditation into the mix when I get really stressed, like during the trials build up. I struggle with that, but, um, I do think it helps. Like if during a run or a workout, you try and just like stay in the moment, don't try and skip ahead to, you know, the end or how bad, you know, it's going to feel or something like that. Um, yeah, I think there are better things I could probably do as far as being more intentional with the mindfulness practices, but I think just trying to stay in the moment helps. And, um, I don't know, having a dog helps. He likes to just like go meander on slow walks. So that's always a good way to (laughs) stay in the moment and just kind of observe him being, yeah, he's never stressed about like being productive or achieving anything. It's kind of refreshing. (laughs) You know, we've all seen Rusty's butt in some various (laughs) photos and posts of yours. And I love that. You know, it's not just you in your life. You have your family, you have your husband and you have your puppy, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're, um, trying not to be too crazy of dog people, but he is, uh, he was definitely a bright spot this last year. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, there were, there are millions of people who also got the COVID puppy. So (laughs) you're not alone. And we had dogs, we had dogs for almost 15 years before we finally had a kid. And I'm not going to ask you the kid question. We can do that (laughs) offline. But, um, you know, the, the point is like, they're important. And once you welcome them into your family, they are basically your children. And so <laughs> bring on the photos, you know, it makes us all smile. Yes. He's a, he is a very spoiled puppy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So Sarah Slattery, I know Sarah from Boulder. She's awesome. Um, I know about you guys working on the book. It sounds like the book is basically done. You're getting ready for publishing now. Yeah, it's in, well, it's in the first round of editing. So I think There's a little more work after that, but we hope to have it published around winter of next year, this coming winter, I guess. (laughs) Awesome. That's going to bring some great inspiration. And the premise has to do with sharing stories about um, distance women, distance runners, right? Yep. Yeah. We interviewed a lot of the best um, women's distance runners from the last many decades. And then there's part of the book that's kind of like a training guide for young female runners too. Oh, I love that. Um, do you think that just doing the research was like an inspirational journey for you? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, especially just because of the year, you know, you didn't get to see your friends, but I got to like Skype face to face with Lynn Jennings or, you know, Skype face to face with like Joan Samuelson or, um, you know, we got to talk to Des and Shalane and all these amazing women. So they had things that, you know, even though they were meant for like an up and coming, maybe high school runner, like that I thought was really valuable or eye opening. So it was, it was pretty cool for us too. You know, I do find even through my own podcast and you probably did through the book and your podcast that often it's our own therapy that we're seeking. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) You're talking to yourself most of the time. (laughs) Why not make it for the greater good sometimes? All right. So one or two more like kind of bigger questions before we wrap it. But 
you have had a long career now. I would love to know if there are one or two or more highlights that just stand out and they don't even have to be your best races, just moments when you realized something big was happening. Hmm. Moments when I realized, I'd say maybe some of those races where you beat people you never thought you could beat when that, when that happened, the first few times that happened. I'd say those were special. Like I think the first time I beat Shalane was a big deal for me because I'd always looked up to her and I was chasing her, chasing her, chasing her. And I like didn't know what to do with myself the first time that I passed her. And of course I was in a shorter event and she was focused on the marathon. And I'm sure that's why, but I remember it being like kind of a big moment. Um, or the first time um, I beat um one of the like world championship medalists at a road race, you know, who came from the track. I think I beat her at a five, I beat a medalist at a 5k in Boston one year. And I was like, wow, like that's a big step forward to have, you know, beat someone like that. Um, so I think those little steps, probably not everyone would notice, but those were encouraging anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. And you know, I think there, there is research that shows that to create strong leaders, um, setting personal goals rather than comparative goals is, you know, uh, preferred in a sense. Mm -hmm. So you had your own personal goal, but as a side effect, you may have surpassed your greatest expectation when you actually beat someone you never even thought you were going to beat, but you've always had your own personal goals and your own sort of eyes on the prize, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's how I've stayed in the sport so long. Like if I was in the sport just to like get a medal or just to win, it, it's too hard to guarantee to even like control that. So it's definitely been about improve this and like stack up these improvements and these personal victories and see where they put you. Um, so yeah, that's really accurate. You know, what advice do you have for people who want to be running for the next 20 years? Um, I guess I would say, obviously take care of your body on the physical side of things, you know, don't be afraid to cross train, do see um, like a chiropractor or a PT. That's pretty obvious advice, but then also like find ways to keep it fresh, you know, change up, like don't just do what you're best at all the time. Like if don't just do marathons back to back, like go do a road mile or vice versa. Like if you're more of a 5k runner, try something different, maybe a trail race. Like I think that's what's helped me is I've always changed my distances every couple of years and, um, there's a new set of challenges that come with it. And so it never gets like super stale. Um, so I feel like that's, that's kind of, and it's, it doesn't like guarantee success because you might step into something you're not that good at, but it's definitely keeps it interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, within running, it feels like there's, you know, 10 sports, mm -hmm. you know, there is ultra running too, but that actually does seem like a crazy side <laughs> to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how interested I'll be in the the really long runs. I feel like 26 is good enough for yeah. for my body. But <laughs> I mean, even when you switch to trail and you, you know, and one day you'll be like, I don't even want to do this. I'm just going to do a really fast 100 meter dash, you know. Yeah, I know. I love the idea of going going in the shorter distances. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's fun. And that's part of this is like keeping it fun. Um is there another sport or other sports that you want to try someday in your life? Not, not even competitively, just something that's calling to you. Um, well, I, I loved basketball. I still like to go shoot around, um, when I'm on my break, but I don't know that I was not sure if I would join a rec league cause I probably would just get hurt at this point. <laughs> um, but when, <laughs> I'm always jealous when I watch, um, the kids out here skateboarding and I'm like, oh, will I be too old to learn how to skateboard when I'm done running? Will I just like break my butt bone like right away? I don't know, but that looks that's, super fun. No, that's why they have those huge sumo outfits and tons <laughs> of pads. And I mean, the cool thing is you can try new sports through your whole life and you've been so great at managing your body and yeah, you've had injuries. I mean, how couldn't you at this point, but um, it's been really fun to see, but also to know that, you know, the horizon is wide open and you're, you still have kind of like a joyful sort of like, I don't know, not childlike, but just interest in trying new things beyond this. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot 
I mean, as a professional, you hyper-focus for a long time. So there's a lot out there to explore. <laughs> well, when you're done, let's go surfing. Surfing, I, yes. <laughs> I've seen you getting in the pool. All right. So we'll have to hit that. All right. Well, Molly, you've been so wonderful today. I'm so excited about your journey. I'm excited to cheer for you in a few months here. Um, but before you go, before I let you go back to resting and, and trying to fit your meditation into your day, um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you the final question I ask every guest who comes on the show. And that is, if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Um, I think the advice I keep going back to or gravitating towards is to aim for like progress or growth over perfection. Cause I feel like that's something that, um, has stalled a lot of people. So I would say, um, yeah, I don't know. You hear it a lot, but don't be afraid to like start before you're ready. Like just start and learn and don't be afraid if you mess up a little bit, because as long as you're improving, that'll get you pretty far. I love that. Well, when you do hop on a skateboard, um, you have only one way to go <laughs> up or down. Maybe <laughs> I'll do it. In a, I'm definitely going to do that in a secret location where no other eyes can see me <laughs> trying to do that. We'll have the rusty cam on just in case it's brilliant. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Molly, thanks for spending time with me today. It means a lot and uh, I'll be rooting for you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Nicole. Hey, hey, I'm back. Um, love that Molly Huddle. Got to get us some more of that Molly Huddle. Get over and follow her. She's Molly Huddle on Instagram and everywhere else, I'm sure. Definitely also follow How She Did It book. Um, that is the book that will be coming out with the title, How She Did It, with, that she is uh, co-authoring with Sarah Slattery, another killer, awesome person and runner. I have a few highlights from this interview. I was thinking back on how ridiculous it is that I opened up with, so what's the backup plan? <laughs> but um, then I thought about it more and I was like, you know, is the perfect way to open because she, A, was willing to talk about it and B, it's what everybody's always thinking anyway. And the truth is, when things are going well, you don't freaking need one. So there. Um, I love the concept of don't just do what you're best at. I think that's something we can all work on. Um, I love their podcast, Keeping Track. So make sure that you get over and subscribe to Keeping Track as well. I love Just Shut Up and Dribble. And I love that Molly supports the the underdog and the things that she's passionate about, even if they're not popular. And I think we need to work on that, all of us. Sometimes we pause before we say something out loud because we're afraid of offending people. And that is not the way you make the world a better place. So there, bam. Um, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I obviously did. Like I said, it is not every day that you get to speak to a freaking high-performance Olympic athlete who's still in her peak athletic years in the middle of training for one of the biggest events of her career. Make sure that you support her and give her a shout-out as she is winding it down here and getting ready for the trials coming up pretty soon. And finally, a quick shout out to today's sponsor, which is also Molly's sponsor, Gatorade Endurance. You heard us talking about their GX sweat patch, the GX app, and all the different products they make to support our customized fueling needs. If you want to support me, please support my sponsors. Head over to GatoradeEndurance.com. Use the code RUNTHISWORLD20 for 20% off all Gatorade Endurance products through 2021. You know what I do? I text myself the information. <laughs> text yourself. Email yourself. Make a note. Do what you have to do to remember this. 
GatorADeEndurance.com. Run this world 20. All right, that's it. My friends, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.